Hi, welcome back to another episode of Womanhood in the Rough. Do you love homesteading and going back to your roots? Well, today's podcast is going to be really fun because I got to interview a woman who not only has a really cool testimony, but also they live in Montana where they have chickens and she does sourdough and are living the best life with non-toxic things and homesteading, all of the things that we all want to do nowadays. A little information on Lex and her husband from Roosterhead Homestead. They moved from the beaches of California to the mountains of Montana and completely changed their lifestyle. As first-generation homesteaders, they are regenerating 40 acres of land using permaculture techniques, growing 60% of their annual produce, raising and processing their own meat, and now teaching others to do the same through their online classes. Lex passionately homeschools her two children, leads a local children's survival slash outdoor group to teach our youth new skills and autonomy in nature. A strong family unit, traditional Catholic living, and Jesus Christ is the center of their lives. So there was so much information that we had to talk about, and so this is going to be split up into two podcasts. So the first one that you're going to be hearing is where we talk about her testimony um, where, and her hu- where her and her husband come from. And then after that, we kind of talk a little bit about mom life and then homeschooling and why they decided to homeschool. And the second part will be more about the food and homesteading aspect that they do. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, talk about your husband, your kids, uh, how long you've been married, how you guys met. Okay. Um, so my husband and I, um, we have two small children. His name's Taylor, and we have civilly married for six years, um, but probably like properly married in the church, the Catholic church for a year and a half. Um, before we were married, I, uh, worked in the corporate world and he was in the military and, um, I was pretty much married to my back then. I didn't, um, you know, have any children. I didn't really have any desire to have any children or get married. And, um, I was like considered successful in, in the corporate world and I held a position in the company and I was making a decent salary and I drove a luxury car. I lived in Orange County, you know, all, all the things from the outside. I, I looked very successful, but you know, I was also working like 10 to 12 hour days on average. Um, I was like living off of Starbucks coffee and chocolate croissants <laughs> and dressing my life away. Uh, but you know, to everybody else, I looked successful. Um, and then I got pregnant and my entire world kind of got flipped upside down. It was, it was weird because I, when I found it, I wanted to be happy. Um, but like the other part of me was battling internally with, with everything because I had these like deeply rooted voices in my head saying, you know, like, you know, kids are going to ruin your life. Your career is done. And I can't tell you like where I specifically heard that or if I read it or, or what, but it, and it just like this feeling of doom that overtook me. And I remember like a few days after I found out it kind of continued, but, but the thing that kind of snapped me out of that was a couple days after that, I remember asking my boyfriend at the time, he's, who's now my husband, you know, I asked him, what are we going to do? And, um, the only thing that kind of brought some comfort was his response. He said, I know what you're thinking and it doesn't have to be an option. And so in that moment, I realized that he wanted this baby to and we like never spoke of that again. Um, you know, even though we didn't feel ready for a baby, it's not how I envisioned my life planning out either. I, you know, decided to, um, go through with all the formalities I could to kind of satisfy my own idea of what my life should look like. So after like a month after we found out I was pregnant, um, my boyfriend now husband Taylor proposed to me. So before the baby was born, we like went down to the courthouse and we got civilly married. I was huge. I remember, uh, my sister-in-law was there and she was taking video and I was like about to pop. I was a couple <laughs> for my due date, you know? Um, but we signed all the paperwork and I changed my last name and I was trying to do all that stuff before the baby was here. Um, yeah. 
And I remember the week leading up to my due date, I had all those like really uneasy feelings come back. Um, and I was having a really hard time emotionally. I remember um, like all those kind of deep rooted thoughts came through my head on, on my due date. I remember like, you know, not ready for this. You never wanted kids. You're throwing your life away, your career, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a crazy journey. Yeah. So how many kids do you have now? So I have two. um, And, you know, after I had my first baby, like one year later, when she was one years old, Mm. I didn't like slip right into mom mode. I was like desperately trying to live my same life while trying to like work around my baby. Um, I mean, I was working less hours, but I, you know, I was basically going to work to pay for an which made no sense. Um, but I did have a wake up call and my second, when I had my second son, it was, it was so much different, but with my first, um, that wake up call for me and kind of when I transitioned into that mom mode was, I was at work uh, and I would occasionally like check in on the baby monitor and, you know, see the nanny and see my baby, my daughter. And within a four hour window, I'd only work four hours a day at the office, I check into the baby monitor and my, my daughter was crying every single time I checked mm. in for four hours. So, you know, I probably checked that baby monitor like 10 times and every time she was crying. And I just, I remember sitting back in my chair and like looking at my desk and I had like piles of work papers on it and thinking like none of this, literally none of it. You know, this baby needs her mother and I'm her mother. And then I left and I went home but, um, you know, I wish I could say that I quit that day, but I did it. I mean, it took me like three more months after that realization to leave my career completely. It was, it was really hard. Wow. And yeah, I know it seems like a simple choice, like, okay, choose your child over your career, but it, it wasn't. And even for an entire year, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, after she was born, so she was two, I was still kind of mourning my old life while like, trying my very hardest to enjoy my new life I had, but I guess I never like fully claimed her as my own and embodied that I was a mother until she was about two. It took me a a really long time. Wow. That I definitely totally understand that. I think, you know, especially with a first, you don't really know, you know, what you're getting into until you have the child. And then you're like, oh shoot, I had this whole life before this child. What do I do now? And it's like trying to figure out your life after what it's like to be a mom, like where this child fits in and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to like, trying to fit the baby into your old life and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work like that. You have to work around, you have to work everything around your new baby. It's Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Okay, so I do want to hear a little bit of your testimony, you know, how you guys decided to get remarried um, in the Catholic Church and, like, all of that. Yeah, so that is kind of an interesting uh, journey. So I wasn't raised in any type of faith at all. and I, you know, I went to church with my friends growing up, Protestant churches. I went, my cousins were Mormons, so I went to like Mormon service. Um, I was a yoga instructor in college, so I looked into Buddhism. I was just, I was seeking, and I feel like a lot of people are searching. And um, I was in college when I was in my early 20s when I found Catholicism. And I had gone to mass one time with um, a good friend. He had taken me in high school and I remember I was so lost. And I'm like, what is this? I don't get it. Um, and I had a friend in college who was also Catholic and he asked me if I wanted to church with him. I was like, yeah, sure. And what he did is he stood in the back with me. We didn't sit down in the pews. He stood in the back with me and he talked me through the entire mass. And that's very much how my brain works. I'm like very analytical. I'm an information junkie. And so I wanted to know what was going on. It's hard to participate or create any meeting or meaning or connection to a 
you know, mass if you don't know what's going on. And so that was really nice. And that was kind of like the, the start of my journey. And so I decided I want to learn more about this religion. And so I decided to sign up through this program called CIA, the Right of Christian Initiation of Adults. And it's basically a year-long program where you learn everything there is to learn about the Catholic Church. And so I did for an entire year. I learned as much as I could. And then at the very end of the class, they give you the option to get baptized into the church if you would like to. And I did. I believed in every single thing the church uh, believed in. And I really felt like this was the faith that I could, you know, dive into and that I believed a hundred percent of what what they taught. And um, so I became Catholic in my early 20s, which wasn't typical. Like I was the youngest one in my age. People think it's like still so weird when they're like, you know, the, the Catholic church, like that's that's that old um, traditional style of worship. That's not like typically appealing to a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, uh, those are the things that appealed to me. It had how, how old it is, how it's like the foundation of the original like I loved the the incense and I I just loved everything about it 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 I don't know it spoke to my heart and so um I became Catholic and I kind of started my journey but the problem was is my husband wasn't Catholic and so that was why there was such a like a delay in us getting married church I mean we only got married in the church a couple of years ago and you know our oldest kid now is five um but it's hard when you're with somebody that doesn't isn't the same religion as you or doesn't have the same beliefs as you. Like we just, for many years, we didn't see the world the same. I mean, we, we didn't even respond to our, our kids' questions. I was looking through, you know, the lens of faith, like giving my kid a faith-based answer. Um, and it was just, it was hard. It was really hard for marriage too. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, um, after my son was born, that my husband decided to go to the RCIA program himself. And I'm telling you, that changed everything. It changed our relationship. Um, oh my gosh, it was like night and day. We were on the same page. We saw life the same way. Things were just so much easier. Um, yeah, and so he he got baptized and he turned into the church and we got um, our marriage blessed in the Catholic Church. And yeah, and now and here we are, you know, raising our kids together, Catholic. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so on to, you know, now that I know a little bit about you, your testimony. So, like, going back to the whole um, stay-at-home mom, dealing with loneliness as a stay-at-home mom. You kind of very talked about, like, you know, trying to fit your child into your old life. So, like, after, you know, figuring that out and you're like, okay, now I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I, you know, I had heard that too. Like that, that was the next phase. I was reading blogs and stuff. Like, oh, there's this crisis that happens with new moms where you like lose your identity or something, and you feel lonely or certain things happen. And to tell you the truth, I never once felt lonely, like or loneliness. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the moment my first child arrived into this world, I was never alone again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these days I just want to go to the bathroom, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know what? I know I did have some feelings um, when my daughter was a newborn. I remember um, because I was doing all the things by myself with no help, and my husband. Was, and the reason for that is my husband was an apprentice at the time, so he had to be at work for longer hours sometimes, and he worked on high voltage power lines. So him being sleep deprived wasn't very safe to do. Um, so I kind of took on that burden. Um, but it really took a toll on my health because I mean, I was up all night. Maybe I, she did not sleep. Uh, I think she had her like days and mixed up. So she was awake all night playing and nursing and eating. And then during the day she would sleep for like four hour stretches, but Mm -hmm. I had to be awake during the day, feeding myself, doing the laundry, like cleaning the house. And I was also working at corporate jobs still. So there were days Honestly, but I was so exhausted physically and physically weak. I just like could not hold her in my arms anymore. I would just like put her down on the bed and I would cry and mm-hmm. I'd watch her cry because I couldn't physically pick her up anymore. I I remember I started having panic attacks and anxiety, which I had never experienced. 
before in my life. Um, and I contemplated like multiple times checking myself into the hospital just mm. so I could get like at least four hours of solid sleep. I was so desperate. It sounds crazy, but mm. like sleep deprivation is I know, a form of torture on the brain. I, <laughs> it really can break, break you down mentally. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have, I have to say with my second child, um, I had a completely different experience. I was really, really scared when I found out I was pregnant for the second time because my first experience with my newborn took such a toll on physically, mentally. Um, but it also put a really, it put a strain on our marriage. But, um, you know, my life had changed so much over those like three years before he was born. Um, I wasn't working in the corporate world anymore. I decided to leave my job and um, I didn't have that like pressure of returning to work after like two weeks of after a baby. And my husband wasn't a premise anymore. He was a journeyman lineman. So he could actually take off of work to help me uh, while I recovered physically. So when my son was about six months old, you know, we moved out of state to Montana. We really, you know, didn't have any ties except for our friends and our family. And we kind of just like started our life over. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, I guess this isn't really a question that I had previously given to you, but like after you started over, like, was it easier to find, you know, mom friends and things like that to like help with community? Yeah. So what we, what I did before we moved, it happened really quickly. Like we prayed and prayed and prayed about it. And we had been talking about moving out of state for like five years before that. And we had looked at Texas. We were seriously considering Texas or Idaho. Mm. And we did like a 10 day road trip in an RV and we visited a bunch of states and we had never been to Montana before. But, um, and that's kind of like a whole different story how we chose Montana. But, um, when we, when we moved here, right, right when we found out we were moving or that we wanted to move, my husband applied for a job. He got the job. They said, can you start in 30 days? He said, yes. We put our house on the market. We sold it in three weeks. It was wow. sold. We packed our bags and saying goodbye to our family and friends. Like we didn't, it happened so fast. Like yeah. once we made the decision to do it and we prayed and leaned into it, God just started opening door after door after door. And it was so easy when we leaned in. Um, so I knew in 30 days, I'm going to be Montana. And the thing is, is we moved, um, what month was it? Or no, I think it was November, no, November, September. And they, in Montana, for snow in like mid-October. So I knew I was moving to a place, like basically right at the beginning of when winter starts. And I'm not going to have the opportunity to go to the park and meet somebody or whatever. It's going to be a little bit harder to people. And so I just jumped on Facebook and I went to our city, you know, Facebook city homeschool. And I just started joining like a bunch of homeschool groups in the area. And, um, I saw when people were meeting up. And so second day we got here, I was at a homeschool meetup at a park and I just put myself out there and it was scary. Cause I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I'm more of an introvert these days. And so it's scary for me, but I was like, I have to do this for my daughter. Like she has to make friends. We have to have play dates in the winter. <laughs> I have to do this. And so I did, I put myself out there and I just went to these groups and that was the best thing I did because, you know, the homeschool community, I'm, I'm so close with them now and they're, you know, we're a couple of years in and they're my people. And so I feel like if you are moving to a new place, jump on Facebook, join groups that, you know, you like or homeschool groups or mom groups, or honestly, even create one for yourself. That's what I did. I ended up creating like a little outdoor kids outdoor group because there were none in our area, which I was really surprised about. And so I just kind of brought people to me and it's been, it's been the best thing for, for me and the kids. Yeah. So speaking of homeschooling, why did you guys choose to do homeschooling? Well, we didn't really choose this. <laughs> it shows us. Um, Okay, well, the whole reason we, one of the major reasons we decided to move out of state is the same reason we decided, if that's what you want to call it, uh, to homeschool. Yeah. So when we lived in California, so when SB, the bill SB um, 26, I think it's SB 266 and SB 277, I believe. SB 276 and 277, excuse me. Um, when they came out, 
those two bills like completely changed our lives and the lives of my kids. So if you're not familiar with those bills, when we live in California, there's something called a medical exemption. And this is something that exists in the public schools for children that might be medically fragile, like have ability or some sort of health condition where they can't receive the suggested vaccines that most, you know, the students are required to get to attend public school. Um, and so if your child has one of these medical conditions, you can go to your doctor and you can get a medical exemption. Basically, a doctor's note that says, you know, for example, this child has, I don't know, cancer and is under my care and therefore able to the suggested vaccines to attend public school. So the public schools would honor that and the child would be able to attend school just, you know, like the other children. Um, now there's a plethora of medical conditions out there that warrant one of these medical exemptions, particularly children that have like an autoimmune disease, for example. So um, you're probably wondering, okay, where does it have anything to do with me? But um, I'm surprised most people don't know this, but they definitely should now. But vaccines have side effects. And yes. so every parent that has taken their child to the doctor, you know, to get their shots is did a booklet with all the vaccines and their side effects. And so for our daughter, my first, we didn't have any issues with vaccines. We thought it was just what everyone was supposed to do. And we didn't ask any questions. Then um, got her, you know, went to go get her her shots. And after her third vaccine, she started having adverse effects. And she has now had five seizures since mm. then. And the first one was right after her told shots. And mm-hmm. after meeting with a neurologist and two different pediatricians, we were advised to and to stop vaccinating her. So when I came to enroll my into the public school, she would be eligible technically for one of these medical exemptions. And she'd get to attend school without risking her health and you know potentially her life. So after experiencing that traumatic event of her first seizure, it was that moment that we started reading the vaccine inserts, um, you know, if you're a parent and you've never re- read the inserts, which is basically the ingredient list, I do strongly encourage you to. But uh, it's not the side effect list; it's it's a it's a different list. Just ask the nurse for the actual insert. Um, but um, you know, you you I think you'd be shocked to see it was on the ingredients list. But, millions of children okay have these medical exemptions and have been in school for many and every year or so you have to go get an updated doctor's note and life continues on as usual however when sb276 and sb277 came out what happened was that california changed the requirements to be able to get one of these medical exemptions they made it almost possible to be eligible for one. So your kid basically had to go into anaphylaxis, oh had word. to be, had to die and be resuscitated. And there's, there's one more about the last one, but they're super extreme, right? So they also, in the bills, limited doctor and how many exemptions they could give to their patients. You, they can only give five per year. What? So as a person, Yes. So as a practitioner, you had to decide on which child was more fragile than the next and choose only exemptions to give out per year, which is nuts. Um, So what happened was, was every child, like, for example, eight, nine or 10 years old that had been in school for majority of their life were no longer eligible for these medical exemptions. They still can't get vaccines, right, due to their health condition per their doctor mm-hmm. and now they're not allowed to attend public school because they're not eligible anymore so this these two bills it affected thousands and thousands of families in california um you know i mean think about that like you and your husband you work full-time jobs this bill passes your kids are in school and now you have to pull your kids out of public school like what do you do yeah what do you do with them you know families and that's when families were moving out of state there was like a mass exodus in 2019 and 2020-ish when all of this was going down yeah. like i personally five families that moved out of state within the same year but mm-hmm. a lot of families can't afford to move out of state you know they were just like left with no options so it was like a really a really emotional bill so so we were just kind of watching all of this happen like our my daughter was three at the time and my son was just born and so i didn't age children yet but we knew that in a few years my daughter was going to have to go to school so we also knew that 
um, you know, she would no longer be eligible for her medical exemption. So basically, we, we were left with two options, right? We were either having to comply with the state requirements and give her all of her vaccines, knowing that it might severely harm her or, you know, even potentially kill her, or we could homeschool her and give her a happy, healthy life, you know, but I would have to make some sacrifices. Like we obviously didn't want to harm her in any way, but we also didn't want to homeschool her either. So, you know, here we were with another societal norm that was running deep in me. I mean, I actually thought that the public school was better for my child than, than me homeschooling her. And I thought that because, you know, that's because that's all I knew. I grew up in the public system. My husband grew up in the public schooling system. My grandma was an educator for many years in the public schools. And my parents, I remember growing up, made it a huge focus of my entire young adult life that public schooling was like the most important thing. And and then after that, you know, my career. So I didn't know one person that was homeschooled either. Um, so when I was faced with the option to possibly homeschool, I had like the huge aversion to it. One, because I just didn't want to do it. I didn't, I didn't have the time or the desire. Um, I also thought I wasn't capable because I wasn't like a trained professional teacher. So I feel qualified, you know, just because I wanted my kids to have the best education. And I thought that was only through the public schooling system. But I guess here's what changed all of that for me. I read one book, okay, one about homeschooling. It's called The Call of the Wild and Free by Ainsley Armet. Have you heard that? Heard I that think one? so, yeah. It's good. It's good. So here's what I learned after reading that book, which, I mean, it includes references in that book to multi- multiple studies and personal experiences from other veteran homeschool mothers. Um but homeschooling and prioritizing this lifestyle over all other options is is ultimately what we chose to do. And it it does take sacrifice, you know, on whoever's going to be the teacher. In this case, it was me. And it does take a lot of flexibility. But the value that we've gained from homeschooling, I mean, it's paying off in so many different ways. My kids get to be involved basically all the things I get to, I do every single day. They learn homekeeping skills and homemaking skills. And, um, dated, I remember dating a guy in my early twenties who still lived with his parents and he didn't know how to do his own laundry. So these like life (laughs) skills are important. They're important to know. Um, yeah. And the other thing I learned is, you know, you don't, you don't need a teaching credential to teach Mm -hmm. your kids the ABC. Like I never, Gosh, I'll never forget. I had a family member who had been an educator for over 20 years. um, And she said to me when I was thinking about starting to homeschool, she said, you don't have the credentials to educate your child properly. And this, it it broke me. It broke my confidence because I mean, she's, you know, been an educator for 20 years. She should know better. Right. And so after I kind of like shook off those feelings of, I guess, you know, I I was incapable of doing that. I, I realized that okay, I've already taught my kid the ABCs. I've already taught her how to use the potty. I've already taught her how to feed herself. I've already taught her how to sleep because you have to teach your kid how to sleep. Um, no, and I, myself, I have a college degree. I, you know, I am, I am capable of teaching them at least up to the college level. And so I kind of had to sit down and like, think about it, um, logically. And, but the, the, you know, modern education, our education system is designed to suppress a child's individuality. Like Mm. with the conventional model of education, I mean, it's convenient. It's really convenient to be able to go to work and drop your kid off all day. Um, But I don't, I don't want to constrain my child for long periods of time and and shut out the natural world. Mm. I, I want to give my child more than that. You know, I want to give her more than short recesses and, um, you know, instead allow her to study nature, you know, as a, a part of how they learn. And so and here's an, I think an important thing that all mothers probably need to know, like you, you were made for your children. I know you probably have doubts. I mean, I, I did, but you are equipped to handle them. Like when you have those days where you want to pull your hair out, which I do all <laughs> the time and you know, feel like you can't handle them. This like tension between you and your child, it can come from a lot of like different things. It's not your own like incapability to teach them. It can come from like neurological things they're going through or nutritional things or even emotional issues they're having. Like my five-year-old, and she still, we still have hard days where she acts out and she hits her brother and she has outbursts. I mean, that's, you know, typically normal. 
So, you know, but what would, what would be the alternative, right? Like send her to school where Mm -hmm. she would have to sit in a corner by herself for the rest of the class because she, you know, had an outburst or I have to share this story with you. It just reminds me, my girlfriend here in Montana, we have daughters the same age. And so she was thinking about homeschooling and she had talked to her husband about it and they, they disagreed on it and they decided to try out kindergarten in the public schooling system. And so she's going to kindergarten and she's one of my daughter's best friends. And so, um, I asked her a couple weeks ago, you know, how's everything going? How's your daughter doing in school? And she's like, you know, something happened the other day that I have to tell you. So I guess there was a little boy in the class and he was having a really hard time emotionally. He kept saying, I want my mom. I want my mom. It was like the first week of school, right? Kindergarten. And the teacher put him aside in a corner of the room and he was crying by himself in the corner and he was being a little bit disruptive because he was crying for his mom. And she said in front of the whole class, Please be quiet. There's no crying in kindergarten. Wow. And so, yeah, my friend's daughter came home and told her that. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, first of all, I don't parent that way. I don't ever tell my kids to stop crying or don't cry. It's always, it's okay to cry, you know, and, you know, all he wanted was his mom. It's the first time he's ever been in school. And, and that broke my heart that I would not be there. If that happened to my daughter, nobody would be there for her to comfort her. Not one person, this mm-hmm. little five-year-old have to be sitting in a corner all day long. And, and that's kind of hard too, because if your spouse isn't on board, then homeschooling, it, it probably isn't right for your family in the season of your life. It might be right for your family later on, but I am so grateful that I get to walk alongside my children, um, you know, assume the best in them and mm-hmm. cater to their, you know, individualized attention that they need to overcome like life's challenges. And, you know, I'm not trying to harp on public schools. I, again, I grew up in the public schooling system and so did my husband, but sending your child to school, you know, you're gambling on the hope that someone will care about your child as much as you do. Um, and that's just, it's, it's impossible. And yeah, here's the last thing. If you're, if you're waiting for somebody else to step in and give your child what he needs, it it might just be you. Like it might just be you. You might just need to kind of step up and kind of regather yourself. Like not only can you do this, but the greatest gift of love you can give your child is to be there for them and to help them work through those difficult times together and, you know, to help, help her and nurture her like only her mother can and help her find solutions. Like you are totally capable. Um, and these are the things that I had to tell myself over and over again, and it will pay off. You know, you just, you, you foster this beautiful and close relationship with your children. It's just, it's priceless. It's priceless. And I love it. So I absolutely agree. A hundred percent. I had also gone to public school for some of my life and just the skills that I walked out of high school with like graduating I was like I'm not gonna use like I didn't know how to cook like my parents had to teach me all of that like the skills you know that you're taught in high school aren't necessarily you know you can't really use them out in the world like you're not taught how to do taxes you're not taught all of these things and so like homeschooling, you're able to, yeah, again, cater to what your individual child needs and even their personality, like how they learn, like specifically. Whereas like public schools, you know, they just mass, like they throw kids, like a ton of kids in one room and they just teach one way. Whereas like not every kid learns the same way. And that's hard when you have, you know, 25, 30 kids in one room. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And my but I can already tell, I mean, I have a almost three-year-old, my five-year-old, I can tell they already, they don't learn the same. And so, yeah, you're right. Like it's this cookie cutter model in the conventional schooling system. I mean, I remember being in high school, like math was such a struggle for me for so long until I got to college. And I, you know, it's like, wait, I didn't, I didn't get any of that stuff and you're going so fast. I just totally missed that. What did the teacher say? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to pay attention. And then it's like, oh, you raise your hand. Can you go over that again? No, we don't have time to go over that again. But you can stay in class. And you're like, I'm not staying after class. It's so embarrassing. 
And so then you have to go home and learn it yourself. It's just, yeah, it, mm, it's, it's, yeah. it's easier and it's, it, you know, they get that individualized attention, um, based on their learning skills. And you know, what's really cool too, is that when my daughter's having a hard time or she's having a hard day, which we all have hard days, I don't have to say, no, no, we have to keep going. It's like, okay, let's take a break. Well, let's come back to this. Let's go take a walk. Yeah. We have, we have time. We can take breaks and, and make it, it makes learning fun you know, it changes the, the relationship with learning. Yeah. Okay. I need to pause because I have to switch rooms because my children are up. So I'm going to have my husband okay. like grab one of my kids so I can like <laughs> switch. Okay. Oh, we can start off. Okay. So where do you start when it comes to homeschooling? Because it can be really overwhelming. Yeah, I, I was overwhelmed for sure. I didn't, I didn't know where to start. There's just so many out there, and uh, but okay. So I read, I read that book, Call of the Wild and Free by Ainsley Armet, and I would say just read that book first or listen to it on audible or whatever um, before you go to bed each night because we're moms and we don't have time to read, right? <laughs> uh, but um, I, you know, and had I had a. Um, a couple friends and family asked me the same question. And so this, I kind of created a formula because I got asked this so much and I suggest doing this and maybe like in tandem with reading that book, just sit down with your spouse and answer three questions together. And I do this actually every single year to make sure that I'm staying back or if something's changed, I kind of tweak it a little bit. So the first question to sit down and like kind of talk to your spouse about and ask yourself is is the most important to you when you think of education? Like what, what's the most important? So for my answer, for example, for us in our family, the most important thing when I thought of education was my kids knowing Bible scripture. Mm, yeah. Um, human connection is really important. Like i.e., emotional intelligence, um, music and art appreciation was big for me and that they're well-versed in that area, and then fostering a continued love for learning. So when I thought of education and what I wanted that to look like for my kid, those were the things that were the most important. So think about, like, what are you pillars of the education that you give your child? And sit down and answer that question together. And then the second question would be, what do you value most in life and in learning? And so for us, there was only one thing. It was knowing and serving God. Like that is the one thing we value the most in life. And we want our children to value the most in life. We want them to know and to serve God and everything kind of branches and stems from there. And then the third question would be, what things do you most want to do as a teacher? And for me, it was to learn with my child and to learn new ways of making learning fun because learning wasn't. I loved school. I loved learning new things, but it wasn't fun. Yeah. I liked the learning aspect of things. I, and I still to this day love learning new things, but it's things that I feel like are fun, you know? And so yeah. what are, what are the things you want to do most as a teacher? Um, and then number four would be, uh, what do you want your daily rhythm to look like? And this one's really important because it's basically like you're writing a perfect day. What would your perfect homeschool day look like? So, for us, um, I remember writing down, you know, having a slow and happy morning filled with laughter and love. And then we'd eat breakfast and we'd do our morning chores and then we'd read, you know, beautiful books and we'd have music and do activities. And then maybe we'd have some outdoor play and some, play some games or activities. And then, you know, there'd be snack time and quiet time. And then maybe we'd go to like a social activity outside of the house, like a play date or the park, or maybe they're in a sport or some sort of group. And then we'd come home, we'd have lunch, we'd do our afternoon chores. I'd prepare dinner. We'd have a bedtime routine with their dad and then they go to sleep so like that's kind of the rhythm of my perfect day and so whatever that looks like write it out be as detailed as you can um and then the last question would be you know what are your goals for educating a child as a whole and for me at the very end of it if i could homeschool her for you know up until grade 12 until she goes to college it would be to create a well-rounded 
um, you know, a love that she had a love for learning, that she had good character and a serving spirit and a really deep relationship with God. That would be my overall goal for educating my child as a whole. So I say go over this five with your spouse, sit down, write them out in detail. And, um, oh, and then it's obviously important, you know, the sixth one would be figure out where your learning space is going to be. Like where in your house you do need to have a designated spot. It had multiple spots, but like we lived in a really, really house we were renting, and the only really spot, and she was little when I started preschool with her, and so my bedroom was our, our our teaching room, it was our classroom, and then when we moved, it was the kitchen table, and still the kitchen table actually in our house, but this year we're converting one of our downstairs storage rooms into a like an actual designated school room. So just figure out what space you're going to use for learning. Um, yeah, and so the answers I think to these questions will you know help you. They'll help you choose a curriculum, and you can see from like our answers, for example, there's kind of a theme here. Like there's God, there's scripture, there's art, there's beauty, there's character, there's love. You know, love for learning. Um, and so choosing like a big box curriculum, like um, I don't know a, a Becca, for example, like it's just not harping on a Becca. It's a great curriculum, but yeah. that's just not style. Yeah, it's, I've heard it's dry, um, and my children, they just wouldn't enjoy it, and probably, neither would I, and so, um, you know, it took me, I'm trying to remember, I think it took me about a year to talk with other homeschool moms and look at their different curriculums that they were using before I finally found one that I liked, and it wasn't like a $300 curriculum like most of them are, it was like 30 bucks, and yeah. we still use it to this day, so you know, you will find out what your homeschool style is based on how you answer those questions. And so for us, we are very, very Charlotte Mason. Um, you know, if you've heard of her, she's, you know, her classic, she's classically based, she's got classically based principles uh, to help children prepare for life and rich with relationship, you know, basically everything around God, humanity, the natural world. And she doesn't believe that children should even begin any formal sit-down studies until they're six years old. Wow. Yeah, it seems very late. Childhood is super important. Like, the world makes them grow up so fast. Yeah. And we're trying to preserve and prolong their innocence and, you know, that child wonder for as long as possible. So we follow um, Ambleside Online. Uh, it's a completely free curriculum, and it's rich with like with arts and music and scripture and foreign languages, everything that we were looking for, and basically everything we need through 12th grade. And for the last two years, we've used a curriculum called A Year of Tales, which is Charlotte Mason-based, and it's, it's themed, which is super cute. So the first year I used it for my five-year-old, well, he was four, uh, it was Beatrix Pot, like based on the Beatrix Potter books. So it was all Peter Rabbit themed and like Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. It was so cute. And, um, you know, like I would spread bunny shaped number cards out on the floor and my dog up onto each one, counting to bunny, like pretending she was a bunny. And this yeah. was in preschool and she, it's fun, you know, it was fun and it was whimsical and um, it was really quick too. We, we only spend about 15 to 20 minutes a day on homeschool and then we got the the day to do you know whatever we want which is but we love it we've been using it for years but you know I would suggest figuring out what is the most important pillars of your family what you want your children to know and then start shopping from there like find maybe other people who pull on social media that's what I did and if you like what you see them doing then start a conversation with them you know ask them questions and the really cool thing about homeschooling is that you have the freedom to change the curriculum too if it's not working for you and your kids yeah no I I love that I was homeschooled like the majority of the time of my childhood and my mom was great because she you know she chose she like picked different things and chose you know things for each child like maybe a certain child liked art or certain child liked being outside more and so she would develop a curriculum around what that child loved to do and it worked so much better than being thrown in a classroom with a ton of other kids 
Yeah, when you do it that way, I mean, it just caters to them as a person, and it caters to the way they learn, and they learn and they retain the information so much better. Like, yeah. my daughter is very physical. Like, ever when she was eight, eight and a half months old, she started walking. Oh, wow. She was one, just climbing. My, she's climbing on everything. She's a monkey, and she just, she still, she climbs on everything. I'm, like, constantly, like, get off the windowsill. Like, get off the counter. She's climbing on everything. Thing. Um, but she's very physically active. And so I know that when I do like these physical games with her routine, it's so much better than sitting down and doing a work or, you know, doing flashcards or something like that. It's just, it's different. It's hard to kind of move away from that conventional, like public school thinking. But when you do get creative, it's, it's so much fun and they just, they retain the information and they learn so much better and they have fun with it and they want to continue to learn, you know? Well, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about homeschooling. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. When Steve and I first got married, this was one of the questions that we had really talked about was whether we were going to homeschool our kids or not. And we both had, you know, positive private or public school experiences, but we also decided that the way that our culture has been going, it just wouldn't be wise to throw them in school. And so we made the personal decision to homeschool our kids from a young age. And, you know, once they get to high school, that that would kind of be their decision and we would reevaluate what would be best for our family. But also thinking about like, obviously there are certain situations where parents and families can't homeschool. That's not an option. But also a lot of times it is a better option, if you can do it, a better option for the kids. And I'm saying this even with my personal experience, like noticing like when I was in school, that each kid, we were just thrown into classrooms and it was very by the book. You know, certain kids I noticed like had different learning styles, but of course, you know, there's only so, you you can't teach 30 different ways. You have to teach one way. And that's kind of how the school systems are built. We didn't get a ton of recess time. I would have, as a kid, loved more outside time. And so seeing this and also the fact that like a five-year-old should not be spending eight hours a day sitting in a classroom setting with like maybe 15 minutes of recess. Like that is not how kids should be. And yet we are sticking kids in basically a prison so that the parents can go work. And of course, you know, like I said, there are situations where you can't. I could go on and on about this. But I'm saying that just in general, like thinking about it, if you Think about if when you were a kid, like you, what do you wanted to do? You wanted to be outside. Like if you're, if you're interested in art, you wanted to be painting. And like, as parents, shouldn't we be cultivating an environment which is more for the kids and what they need, rather than throwing them just one technique and being like, well, I hope this works for you. Like if they're an auditory learner. And we're like, oh, we're only doing visual things for them. Well, they might not learn that way and that might not be best. So it's just some things to think about. And, you know, some of the reasons why they homeschooled were also very interesting about the, you know, the medical reasons. And it's just our culture is going in a very different direction. And I think it's wise for parents to reevaluate their kids and their family and education nowadays. So I highly encourage if you do have kids in school that you ask about curriculum. And this isn't really one thing that we really talked about, but just some of the stuff that is being taught not only in public, but also in private. Ask your schools for the curriculum because a lot of schools right now are actually being told to hide the curriculum, to, you know, not tell parents, to, you know, hide certain things because of the grooming, the different things that are going on. So, like, this is a wake-up call for parents to 
know what is happening in your kids' lives, to be invested, to not just go to work, drop your kids off and be like, okay, how was your day? Okay, cool. All right, bedtime. Like be invested in your kids, like know them. And if it is possible to consider homeschooling and maybe individual teaching your children. Another thing I did want to point out, because she said that it was so daunting at first to homeschool her kids. And I think that, you know, as a society, we have been taught that if you don't have five different degrees, you can't teach your children. Like there are people who like are like, I didn't go to college, but we are seeing more and more people uh, graduate from college that like businesses don't want to hire because of there's no critical thinking anymore being taught. And so even if you did not go to college, you are still perfectly able to teach your child. If you know how to read, if you know your ABCs, if you know how to count, you can teach your child basic things. And on top of that, teach them the skills that they need to live in this world like cooking and cleaning. Those things are not taught in public schools. And in fact, they're not even going to use algebra for like 80% of their life. Like they're going to use basic math. They're going to use basic reading and writing skills for the rest of their life. And they're going to need to know how to do their taxes, how to get a loan, how to go to the grocery store buying groceries, you know, how to fill up a gas tank, different things like this that kids are not taught and parents aren't teaching them because they just drop them off at school and, you know, let the education system teach them useless things, partially in high school. Um, Okay, my rant is over, and I appreciate all of you guys who are listening to me ranting now, but I'm very passionate about this, and I'm very excited for the next episode, which is something I'm even more passionate about, which is uh, homesteading and getting back to our roots and nutrition and all of that stuff and I'm so excited I'm actually going to be personally doing another episode on this on food and stuff so I will see you guys next week I have such a blast making these episodes for you guys and interviewing different women in different stages of life. So what you can do to help me out is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and also share this with your friends and family. This is Elise Feathers and I'll see you next time on Women Hidden the Rough.